You're listening to the HSDNA Podcast from the Garden State. Your host, Justin Starbird, and guests from HS Design walk you through each step of the medical product development process. Listen in as they discuss topics like contextual research, human factor testing, and conceptualization, giving you the best practices and real examples of success in the field. And now, here's your host, Justin Starbird. Welcome back to this episode of HS DNA. My name is Justin Starbird. Uh, today, I'm privileged to have again on our podcast, academic author and editor, Dr. Mary Beth Privatera, and principal of HS Design, Tor Alden. Welcome back, guys. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Justin. Happy to be here. Yeah, thanks, Justin. So glad to have both of you on today as we talk about a topic that is you know, probably one of the pillars of HS design, that's human factors. And Mary Beth, it's especially exciting to have you on to talk about this as the research and human factors principal at HS design and also the co-chair of the AAMI human engineering committee. Um, and recently the author of a book, Applied Human Factors in Medical Device Design. You know, this is important um, to a lot of the different projects that you're working on now. Would you mind going into a detail about what's going on in the world around us today. Sure. Well, there's been, um, as everyone is feeling those changes and, and moving into m more work from home virtual atmosphere, so too are the, the physicians and the healthcare practitioners. So um, things like, um, I'm not sure if, if the listeners are aware or not, but there's a telemedicine, telehealth that's been around for a number of years. Telehealth is in reference to those broader communities that serve healthcare that are in um, more like your occupational therapists and the ancillary disciplines that support the delivery of healthcare. And then telemedicine is the direct delivery of care. And that's been going on for a number of years. So what we've been doing is really establishing a practice where we build on that, which is familiar to our customers. Our customers are already in this business. Um, it's, very prolific in the emergency rooms in regards to stroke call, um, stroke therapies where you may have someone who presents to an emergency room in a rural area with, um, condi with conditions of stroke, and then they need to have a little bit more of an expert review, and they get, um, they get the telemedicine presence. And so it's really an increasing practice within the hospitals and within um, what they do to deliver care. So what the, the three types that, they, um, that they're currently practicing, we really are adopting that in human factors. And there's no time like the present to really get down and, and to build off of those models. We just can't seem to you know, get, get into the meetings of two, meetings of four, meetings of 10. And it's a global phenomenon in terms of how we interact. And we can't really evaluate a device design. Um, you know, you can stand six feet back, but getting someone to agree to be in the room is really a challenge. Getting someone to agree to be within the environment is also a challenge. So building off of this model of telemedicine um, can really be a, a helpful, and it, we found it to be a, a helpful activity. So just to give you a little background, too, on the three types of telemedicine, they can either record it and then forward it to us, um, or they can do remote monitoring where we might come in and, and look and just tap in. I know that you know a lot of security systems, you can go on and you can see what's going on in, in the room. You can go see, is my garage door down? Or what's going on in my kitchen? 
Um, and then they can also do the remote monitoring in the hospital where a neurologist might be checking on the EEG signals that are going on in an ICU. Or you can have these real-time interactive services, which I think is what um, Zoom is the most prolific work at home type of an approach. So telemedicine, teleresearch, telehuman factors, I think is here and it's here to stay. What has the reaction been so far, you know, with, with doctors or, or even patients that you need approval for, you know, to be in that room? Sure. So even before the whole um, issue of our of our global pandemic happening, we were struggling with getting approval to get into the into the hospital, into areas specifically in, in very um, rural areas or even globally. You're, you, you're always challenged. You're always faced with why are you here? You're another person that 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 um, healthcare provider has to entertain and and to get approvals for to for you to actually be in the room. So before this whole pandemic, it was all it was always a challenge. By enabling telehuman factors, you really put the ownership back on that clinical provider to help you understand what you need to for product development. So they they can control it. Um, they they can control what they what we see and what we don't see. It's, you know, it's that walking down the hallway. Are you exposed to other patients? Are you exposed to other HIPAA protected information? So it's, it's really one of those, um, it's, it's kind of a benefit to us to stay out of their way and to really come in where it's most important for us. <laughs> and certainly most appreciated today, you know, so uh, Tor, before, uh, before today and before these, you know, trying times over the last couple of months of you know, kind of embarked on us. Um, there was telehealth and, and telemedicine. Why are these platforms of care so important? And, you know, what do you see as the implication for the medical device development? Sure. Thanks, Justin. Hey, um, you know, just again, a special thanks to all the healthcare workers and professionals risking their life uh, and their health in these times. Um, you know, I think it's just really humbling for us to be able to be working in this space especially in these challenging times. So um, just a shout out to all those guys. Um, you know, Mary Beth brought up a, a really good point. I just, before we go into that, I just wanted to kind of add on to, she brought up the, you know, the, the challenges that we're already currently, ex uh, we're seeing, you know, pre-COVID-19, we were seeing challenges of getting into the hospital doors. 10 years ago, it was really relatively easy to get into a surgical procedure or, or scheduling, you know, formative or summative validation studies. And, you know, probably the last couple of years, everybody's realized that it's, it's not that easy. We've had to go through our own recruiting channels. We've had to develop relationships with hospitals. Not, now it's not, you know, now it's even harder. But if you think about it, we haven't really changed or modified our processes since that 10 years ago when, relative to, you know, the, the actual recruiting and, and getting into the space. Yes, we've, we've updated our processes relative to 1345 um, and, uh, uh, you know, all the, all the ISO uh, um, documents. But, but it's, it's really kind of, you know, interesting now that we have a chance to almost pivot and, and really kind of really rethink how we would want to do it better. And, um, the, the, you know, basically to your question, um, there is a real need right now for R&D and product development to keep moving forward. Uh, we're in a national emergency, urgent products, yes, they can get specially fast-tracked and expedited through the FDA, but the majority of the medical devices aren't really subject to this. And, 
we see that you know we need to help our clients work with the FDA uh, and 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 have a figure figure out a way to keep the process moving. And I guess you know otherwise we we risk shutting down the pipeline, which is going to be extremely challenging. And I guess you know just to kind of add on to that is that um, with ISO 60601, which is primarily electrical equipment, and 61010, lab equipment, um, their requirements now mandate FDA guidance of IEC 62366. So we basically have fought for that. They bought into it. Now it's all, you know, it's in these processes, but, but they can't get approval unless we can figure out a way to get uh, human factors to, to figure out how to do this virtually. And that's the important part of this whole thing and the so, urgency. Yeah, the urgency is paramount, you know, especially with, with um, the need for so many of these, of these things that, to be commercialized and used. So what are some of the significant, you know, benefits, I guess, and or challenges with telehuman factors? Sure. So one of the, um, the, the, the biggest challenge that we have right now is, um, is really in, in, the, um, in the amount of foresight that it takes to get the final summative study, the human factors validation. So in 62366, you'll find um, language that you have to have the right setup, you have to have the right environment, you have to be able to observe your users, and that's almost always done as a simulated study where your um, your research team is physically interacting with the user and watching it. You also have the, the um, user using the actual device that they would upon market release. Well, if we take that to a virtual situation, which we can do, take it to a virtual situation, um, there's nothing in the guidances from the FDA and there's nothing in the guidance from 6366 that says that that is an allowable um, situation. Um, so it's, it's one of those where unless you've had the forethought to put that into your protocol that this is how it's going to be conducted um, and get that pre-approval, you run the risk of it not being accepted at the end of the day. Now, the good news is, is that the FDA is in the same boat that we are all in and they're working on guidances and they're trying to under, they have, they definitely have empathy for the industry in regards to how do we keep the pipeline moving and how do they move forward with protecting our health and we keep on innovating because that's, that's really truly how we do it. We do have more influence and improve our health overall. So they're working on it, but there's no, there's no quick answer for the, for the validation studies. Now, the other good news is, is that for all of the studies going up to that point, you can conduct them virtually. And in some instances, it would make sense to conduct them virtually because I can get much more of a global perspective or I can reach places that I, would, I wouldn't ordinarily be able to reach where I can get into the remote, uh, the remote areas of the country and get a little bit broader viewpoint. The challenge that you face is that you typically only make two or three prototypes and without that physical interaction, it's difficult to really predict whether or not there's going to be a use error or how they're going to behave with it. So it really gets down to instructions for use can be completed. You can make more prototypes and then take a little bit longer to do it where you send out that prototype, um, have a virtual session, retrieve the prototype and then send it to the next one. So it just, you can still do it. It just may take a little bit longer in your schedule so that you can, you can build that into your timeline to conduct it virtually, which is I think where we are today. 
Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would just add on to that uh, a little bit in that just that it's sort of a it depends world out there right now. And that's, you know, I, I think if you have a fairly simple product or class one or even a, a class two, um, 510K, for example, to Mary Beth's point, we, we have a, already a process in place. We can we can do that. Um, the challenge is going to be if it's a more uh, complex problem or a system level problem or even just a larger product. So you can't prototype it or you can't ship a, you know, a large uh, IBD instrument around. So those are the challenges that we see that we're having to go into a little bit more creative space as far as virtually modeling. So a lot of our, the advantage that we see, and I guess I, I'll add this to our good, good news column, is that because we're interactive with uh, industrial designers and UI developers with the human factor uh, group together, we're collaborating to create these models that can be shipped to users virtually and, and to figure out a way to sort of uh, mitigate those risks uh, that we had. So for example, you know, the cost, we've actually figured out a way to break even in these because you're offsetting all the travel expenses uh, by some of the technology that we're adding on to the to the back end, mm -hmm. so the, you know there is good news in that regard, um, and uh, you know I think one of our uh, human factors person said you know the fact that I don't have to go into another hospital doesn't really just disappoint me right so <laughs> it's it's one of those things that you know it may be that we were always kind of set up for this major pivot and uh, we may not go back to the old ways after this except for potentially validation studies. Sure. So how do you prepare? And I guess, Tor, this is for you. When you're going through and, and courting a client to work on a project that will require human factors, how do you prepare them for this step? Like, and, and how do you prepare them you know, for um, having to work remotely? And, and, or it, has there been any, any uh, challenges sure. with adoption? Oh, well, sure. I mean, uh, you know, so we... We have projects in our in our current pipeline right now that you know are at the very beginning stages of contextual inquiry. We have some that are in the formative stages, and we have some that are ready to go into into validation studies. I mean, our, yeah, yeah. And uh, those are, you know, we had to we had to educate our clients and and under and you know basically walk them through how we're doing it and how we're working with the FDA and trying to figure out that we're doing it the correct way that, that we're not going to find out that uh, it's going to get kicked back for whatever reason. Right. Mm -hmm. So those are, those are, you know, real time challenges that we're working with every day. Um, what's the great news is the human factor group has really been responsive in this and have jumped on onto this extremely fast. And we've already got, you know, uh, what, what we're branding our soft touch tour, uh, development kits that we can send to, to people. We've figured out ways to prototype both, you know, 3D and virtually uh, products depending on, on if they're physical. So, so for example, if you, if you talk about trying to do a formative study on a, uh, a handheld device that needs to have, you know, ergonomic evaluation, nothing beats a 3D model that you can ship, you know, to what Mary Beth was saying earlier to the client and have them test it and we could videotape it and watch how they're using it and get their feedback from three or four different versions. Um, but some of them are just, you know, highly interactive UI screens where we just need to understand, you know, we don't need to send them a physical prototype. We can send them a virtual prototype. Mm -hmm. 
Yep. But I guess, you know, just to answer your question, that the challenge we see right now is to keep the pipeline going. Um, you know, hopefully this is going to get better. And as Mary Beth, again, just mentioned earlier, the FDA is working hard on giving us an understanding of how to do the validation studies and, and that guidance documents, are, those are coming out, you know, real time every day, something new. Uh, but until that's worked out, we're really going to be challenged to see how we can get get through that, that final usability study. So I, you both have addressed uh, some of these challenges, some challenges within teleresearch. What techniques has HS Design implemented to overcome them? I guess that, that's a question for, for both. Yeah, so, um, you know, as Tor mentioned, uh, all of our contextual inquiry and our formative studies are still going on. Um, you know, it, it's, uh, in, in to, to Tor's point, you know, it depends. Um, so some of the techniques that we have and, you know, as he, as, he, as he mentioned, we do have a kit that we will send out to, um, to, the, to the providers um, if we're doing some contextual inquiry in the hospital, which is basically plug and play. So it's a four-step methodology that we, they, get, they get this in the mail. They understand how to use it because um, it's got good instructions in there. They, they turn it on and, and we're good to go. We're, we're able to either, um, again, following that telemedicine model, allow them to record what they want us to see and then share that later, or for them to record real time or for us to come in and monitor, depending upon what we, what we need to do. So they, you know, they've been very responsive in accepting that. They appreciate that it does not um, hinder them from doing their day to day and it makes it a seamless process for us to collect that data. Um, and other ways that we've done it is, is to look for opportunities to, to build multiple prototypes, send them out, schedule meetings a little less efficient to um, on the prototypes for the formatives because as Tor mentioned, there's nothing like holding something physically in their hand and you know, you, you have to package up the boxes and remind the users, please don't open until we're on the phone, that type of situation um, to get into that so we can understand what their first impressions are for the, for, the, um, for the reviews. But, you know, with the right instructions and the right details, you can certainly do a virtual study. I know that, you know, Tor, I know that we've done some virtual models. Um, so why don't you talk a little bit, if you could describe some of that, that's a, a, another good one. Yeah, I mean, so, uh, you know, for example, uh, just to go back a little bit, uh, one of the things that, that um, I think is going to be really in interesting and, and probably more beneficial is the IFUs or the instructions for use, because historically, and maybe it's just because, you know, the development process has been put in this way, they're always at the last minute, right? And they're always kind of at the end where it's like, okay, let's, let's put together the IFU. Um, What's interesting now is we actually have to put it together the first because we're actually using that to show them how to get even the the, the kit out of the box, right? So all of this is really coming into to um, a little bit more, um, you know, into into the I guess the, the 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 spotlight as far as the importance of, for example, IFUs. Um, but anyway, simulation. Um, you know, we're working in both uh, augmented reality, virtual reality. We've got all the latest technologies for that. The challenge is going to be, you know, you can't necessarily, well, you can, but we haven't yet sent a HoloLens to individuals to have them look at a product. We've actually developed and simulated prototypes in the past for some of our bigger, larger uh, devices with uh, AR, 
uh, and that was very successful for the designers to get a feel for what it looks like in space and, and kind of get off the screen from a CAD perspective. I think that's our, our next challenge is how to get that into uh, the, the user's hands and, and try to get them into a real-time simulated environment virtually, if you will. Um, and that, that's, you know, a few, few weeks away, a few, few months away from really getting it into uh, practice, but it, it's definitely coming. Well, I love how this is all happening in real time. I mean, not very often do you have the chance to make a real life and real time pivot to meet, you know, demands that are going on all around us. And, and I got to believe that, you know, there's so many benefits that are going to come out of this, uh, you know, certainly some drawbacks, but, but um, for the participants and the success of the studies, can you talk a little bit about what this change and this, you know, this pivot to something that's been discussed and talked about and in some cases used, but now it's going to, it, it seems as though it's going to become a part of everyday life and, and how you operate. Um, what is the success, do you think? What will that look like? I'm, I'm going to start off and I'm going to let Mary Beth, the expert, kind of finish it. But, you know, from a product development process, it's, it's going the way, you know, CAD went from paper to, 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 to virtual. So we are, you know, it's just the way that uh, prototyping has gone from, to 3D printing. So it's just a natural step. The challenge is not to lose the humanity and, and not lose that context of understanding how people experience the product. And, and I guess that gets back to Mary Beth's point of, you know, that out-of-box packaging of concept one, two, and three, timing it to get everybody sort of set up, that's going to be the important part of really figuring out how to get that into, uh, you know, an understanding for, for the users to, to adopt. I don't know if I have anything to add. That's why I put that big pause in there. <laughs> Hey, that's okay. That's why we do this on the fly, right? This is um, really, uh, this is what makes it great is uh, you get the opportunity to really talk through some of the major uh, improvements and changes that we've had here. Um, okay, hold on. Let me think. Hold on a second. Um, mm. I think if, if I was a human factors engineer, I would be a little bit um, apprehensive. Uh, because everything they've learned has always been about, you know, frontline human interaction. And now we're taking it out into, hey, you can do this off of a web portal. Hey, you can, you can ask these questions remotely. Yeah. So it's really important to really bring in the technology. And that's why we've invested uh, fairly significantly in some of the newer technology. So, you know, the, the camera technology, the out-of-box experience for these people to do it, to get it as close to uh, real life as possible. The other good news is all these nurses, clinicians, doctors have all had to sort of force themselves into using Zoom and other, you know, web-based portals. So that learning curve is over. Uh, and, and so that, 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 again, we have it to our advantage. Right, because before this, they were not uh, in their day-to-day. -day, this, this wasn't a normal practice for their day-to-day, -day, in fact. Um, I know that yeah. whenever we've done the recruiting for nurses and they, in the, you say, well, how are you trying to recruit them? And if they say email, then we know, you know nurses are really not on email. They're, they're not checking their email. So one of the, that is truly one of the longstanding impacts from all of this 
know, I think the the other um, the other part of it is really using technology within human factors. So in some instances, depending upon the form factor of the product, you may not be able to see the user interface. Like if it's a handheld, if it has a handheld display, it's very difficult for an observer that's, um, you know, even standing two or three feet away to see what's on the screen. But we've introduced technologies, you know, spyware, spy glasses, or your um, your eye tracking uh, um, glasses that you'll put on that can actually, you know, look at that user interface. So there's going to there's be much more of an uptick in in the acceptance of a user putting on the technology for the formative usability studies because that enables us to see what they see and to experience it in in their as they go through their job. So there's, there's going to be much more of an appreciation for that technology and what that does for us. And as always, I feel like the, the ones that are going to be most successful are also the ones that can still add and create that human element or recreate that human element, right? So the ones that have, yeah. you know, the ability to have those interpersonal skills, you know, over the phone or, you know, through a video, are always going to be the ones that are going to be most successful because those are the ones that are most successful when they're in in, in front of them. So, you know, it's like in, in sales when there's a huge shift to email or, you know, shift to video conferencing and everybody, you know, especially like you're talking about old school or, you know, folks that didn't have that technology background were, were worried that they were going to be replaced. Well, you know, when you're uh, if you're able to create that presence, then you're able to continue to have success and create that interaction and, and get that feedback that you're looking for. Yeah. I, so in this, I, that's a really good point because of, of study moderation. Study moderation is already a, a tricky one. So that's, a, that's an excellent point. I'm sorry, Tori, I probably interrupted you there. No, no, I was just going to add that, you know, it's, it's, I think the message out here, we're, we're, you know, I don't know, I don't know who, who's listening or who, who we're, we're talking to, right? But I think the medical community, uh, we need to figure out a way to, to work with them. We, this is the same challenge we had when we tried to get into, um, you know, actual site visits. It's the conversations were always, well, how do we educate the medical community that this is an important thing for them to get the latest and greatest equipment? They, they're, they're the ones that are going to have to invest a little bit more now with this virtual uh, and social distancing to help us uh, make this work. So it may be that they need to get their IT manager involved in into the recruiting mix where they're the ones setting it up so that the wi-fi to the spy glasses are connected correctly so that nurse or doctor doesn't have to spend a half an hour like you or i would setting it up prior to the test um, those are the type of challenges i see that are still coming and that we're still facing so it's that education of this is new this is staying and we need to really you know again pivot to to, to make it work and there are going to be new players in, this, in all of this that we haven't seen before. Tor, thanks for taking the time to break that down and, and really um, give us the opportunity to understand, you know, where the changes are coming from. And Mary Beth, thank you to you as well for, uh, for joining us today and walking through the changes in human factors and, and really taking us from telemedicine to teleresearch and explaining what's next. Thanks, yeah, well, thanks for having us. Yeah, Tor, Mary Beth, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of HSDNA. 
Until next time, you can catch all the episodes of HSDNA on our website at hs-design.com slash blog. My name is Justin Starbird. Thanks for joining us. This has been the latest episode of the HSDNA podcast. On behalf of our guests today and host Justin Starbird, thank you for listening. As always, to listen to other episodes of HSDNA, go to hs-design.com and scroll over the HSDNA tab on our menu. Until next time, thanks for listening.